0: hello my friends welcome to let's talk my name is shay marville and i think one of the most important skills in this world is being able to have a conversation with a friend or a foe let's talk is a podcast about listening growing connecting and hoping through compassion and talking. And I mean really talking about the good things and the hard things, and with remarkable people living in a remarkable time. So let's talk. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk on today's episode. And can you hear me smiling? Yes. I had a chance to catch up with busy entrepreneur and lawyer, Salima Albahai. She's the co-founder of Alt Recruitment Partners. She and I met on the schoolyard of our children's primary school. Salima shares today some of the things that motivated her to start her recruitment company and what she's been doing in the pandemic and how the law has changed because of the pandemic. Salima, welcome to Let's Talk. So let's talk, my friend. So I have been so um, curious about what your experience has been living through this pandemic.
1: I think that my experience has been, I've taken a very positive experience from living through this pandemic. Really? Um, Yeah, I believe that people are resilient and people are adaptable. And when you throw people into the deep end of things, you get to see what they're really made of. And I believe that we have, as a society, been denied so much. We've, been, we've gone through so much, but we've learned so much. And yeah. these are skills that we've never learned. We would have never learned had it not been a global pandemic. Hmm.
0: What, what kind of skills do you think you've learned in the, the last 15 months?
1: One of the key things that I believe that I've learned and my family has learned is what we need and what we want and we've been ba- basically able to decipher what needs are and what wants are and when you boil it down needs are the essential things you need and wants are all the you know the the gravy and during this time of pandemic we realized that we don't need or sorry we don't need to have all those wants if we have the necessary things then we can survive and we don't need all the the external variables that we add to our lives, but may not benefit our lives as much as we think that they do.
0: Hmm. Do do you think as a, a professional in the law world that law has changed because of the pandemic? Is that too broad a question?
1: No, I think certain areas of the law have certainly changed the pandemic has brought in a whole array of new human rights issues, right? So um, when we look at the whole idea of having a vaccination passport and having to have that vaccination passport when we travel or when we go to concerts or to a restaurant or to our workplaces, does that not infringe our basic human rights? And so I think that as a lawyer we are going to see a whole new depth of problems and solutions arise from this global
0: pandemic. Mm. So do do you think for the people who are fighting against, you know, the belief that the, excuse me, do you think the people who are fighting against the belief that the pandemic is net Is necessary, or that COVID is real, or that masks work? Do you think their rights are going to be infringed upon because if you don't, if you're not vaccinated, you won't be able to do certain things?
1: Yes, I think they're already being infringed upon. You know, there are people that I've seen that have been not denied access to grocery stores. I have seen people denied access to um, public transit masks are mandatory, and if you're not going to be able to put up with that, then you are not going to be allowed in certain arenas. Um, I think travel is going to really change for a lot of people um, if certain uh, areas of the world have stipulations that if you are not vaccinated, you cannot enter their countries, and they have a right to do that. yes, It is certainly going (laughs) to infringe people's beliefs, and it's going to infringe their freedoms. So it is going, this global pandemic is going to affect us for many years to come.
0: So it's it's really created new, you know, with the new problems, there's going to be, as you said, new solutions, yeah. new opportunities for you as a, as someone who, I know you're not practicing, but you're recruiting within the law industry, has it changed, the pandemic changed your, your work and the type of work you're doing?
1: Most definitely. In our work, we, feel, we find that a lot of the time geographic region was very important. So if you were looking for a lawyer for a company in Toronto, you wouldn't go and search a lawyer in BC. Of course. Unless that person was willing to move. Now with the changes in the work to home or work from home, um, the changes in how we access people, uh, the changes in our work hours um, have opened up the world. So which means if my client is looking for a certain type of lawyer, I'm able to open up the scope to a lot of different jurisdictions, which I wasn't able to open them up to.
0: So, so that sounds like you're probably busier now than you were we before. Are.
1: We are probably busier than we've ever seen. And the reason I attribute that, that busyness is because of innovation. Um, there has been a lot of changes during this pandemic. And one of the biggest changes is in our need for technology, good technology, mm-hmm. technology that's going to make the world seamless. And you know, you've know, you seen these, these startups grow and they flourished, and as a result, they need in-house counsel. We're opening up some major corporations in the Toronto region, like Netflix just opened up their offices here. Lawyers mm-hmm. are going to be needed. And so now where are we getting the lawyers from? We're taking them from the law firms. And this isn't the U.S. where we have a whole bunch of lawyers that are graduating from you know, hundreds of schools. We've got eight law schools in Canada. Um, and so our limit to the amount of, of lawyers called to the bar here is not the same. And once you're starting to pull them out of private practice and put them into these corporations, these multinationals, there is, it, it gets extremely busy and the need for lawyers is greater. Um, so five years ago, the need for lawyers wasn't as abundant. You weren't seeing that many. You were seeing the, the move to in-house. But it's not as much as it's been happening as of recent
0: I, I am I am sort of amazed by this, and I'm smiling because I remember being on the um like in the schoolyard with you with because our daughters uh, went to the same grade school together when you were just thinking about creating your your firm yeah and and not certain that there was going to like how much work there was going to be. And now here you are and you, you, you were already, I mean, your company was already up and running for five years before this pandemic. So you are so well situated To I'm just, I'm marveling at it. Salima, I'm so happy for you because I think this is really, this is really quite extraordinary because like you're so, your company is so well-placed now to address this, but it's something you never could have imagined.
1: No, it's not. It's not like we could have imagined it. Um, and our growth has been strategic, right? So it, it, you know, you will only survive in the world if you can be flexible and innovative, and if you can constantly change with the tides. And so we've changed our market from where we were dealing with so many people looking to now few people and lots of jobs. And, you know, I, I am so grateful that we've had an opportunity to really be able to use our skill set in this market and to be able to grow, um, you know, such a great client base and, and get so much confidence within our company.
0: It's very exciting. And, and you, your company is has been was founded by three people yes all all women all women and you you basically created the company because of multiple things and I I kind of would love to explore that with you and from what I understand is that you know one was about you know parenting had changed your life and so that needed to your how you manage your career needed to change but it was also because you saw an absence in the marketplace around recruiting that that you you and your colleagues thought you could fill
1: yes, and you know um, I came from a big recruitment firm, and I cut my teeth there and it was a great experience. but with respect to recruitment or anything else in life, your success is built on your relationships mm-hmm. and you learn when you are at maybe a big law firm or a big recruitment firm or a big um, accounting firm that it th- they teach you it's about brand, but your brand is you and your mm-hmm. relationships are you. So if people have confidence in you, then they will follow you. And we believed as three mothers that life had to change um, in many ways but that we could also succeed based on our relationships. So we changed our model whereby we're not a volume recruiter. We are very um, precise in the mandates that we take. And we only do work in the in-house sphere. And our fill rate is really high. And we really get to know the company. So we, you know, uh, with a lot of other um agencies and it works for them they'll take on 200 mandates at a time right, and see right. whatever they can fill that's not us you know we take on half a dozen mandates at a time and we fill them and so, so you're
0: collaborating with the organization that you are trying to fill for absolutely we want to know about them we
1: do a 360 we get to know personalities we get to know what their scopes are and right now as you know um there is a real need to serve underserved communities mm-hmm. and so we want to go out there and make sure that those communities are also represented within our recruitment efforts it's
0: it's a it's really quite stunning the change that has happened so quickly because of this global pandemic yeah and i'm wondering also about you know, as a, a woman, as a mother, uh, in law, and then, you know, creating your own organization, how that thinking, like the thinking around, like the innovative thinking around doing this, how you apply that now to growing the company and, you know, from where where it started to where it could go because of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think that every Thing in life, um, you have to look at it before you make changes, and you have to adapt. And I really believe that the workplace has to become more accommodating to everyone, not just you know um, people that can access the workplaces. So, for for example, um, there are good lawyers that are practicing in remote areas, and with this whole global pandemic, we have accessed them and they're able to practice for bigger companies that they could have only dreamt of of practicing in. So the innovation has resulted in in that scope and and people being more accessible in any way that they possibly can be where that wasn't an, an issue before or that was an issue before. Also, um, we have also found that for women, you know, I left practice when I had a young child because I couldn't make, or, you know, thinking about going, I was a litigator, thinking about going, having a young child and, you know, being in the the court systems and being, you know, in my firm all the time, that wasn't the life that I wanted. Um, and, And law at that time was very much about face time. So, you know, the associates got in the office really early in the morning and they left after the last partner left because that was important. Yes. Um, and with this global pandemic, that has changed. Women are now able to stay at Bay Street firms because they don't have to get ready in the morning, rush and drop their kids to daycare, you know, get, hop on the train, get to yeah. work, hop back to get their child for six o'clock, um, and and have that stigma, well, she left early. Mm-hmm. It's now really changed, and it's opened up a lot of doors for women that may not have been able to become partners on Bay Street. I also find that the legal world has changed because they've lost so many women. They've opened up council positions and um, career associate positions. So if you don't want to become a partner, you're not sort of up and out. You are able to say, I just want to become a, I just want to be a career associate and I just want to be a counsel and I don't want to become a partner. And that has resulted in way more diverse or or alternative arrangements within the workplace. You can see lawyers now working part-time at firms, lawyers working part-time at companies, doing a desk share arrangement where that really wasn't. Such a big option before we went into this pandemic,
0: yeah, I think the pressure on female lawyers to uh, become partners and to to follow a certain template that nobody ever fully uh, articulates but is very clear uh, to you. I think that prior to the pandemic was was you know being pushed and but but not the way it has been because of the pandemic and necessity has changed everyone's life. Do you, do you think that, do you think that being a woman and being a person uh, with a very diverse background, um, a person of color, do you think that influences how you practice and how you recruit?
1: Yes. It most definitely influences how I practice and how I recruit. Um, I think that, you know, and, and I try to instill this in my children, you don't know people's story. And so you only see one side of it, right? And people always have a story and you need to listen to it because from that story comes a lot of depth and experience that you can't get from a piece of paper or resume. And sometimes, when I identify a good candidate, um, and and maybe they're not stellar on paper, um, right. I call them. And when I really deeply listen to their story, I realize they've got a lot of different experience that may not be everything you know this downtown law firm is looking for, but maybe something for a smaller firm or a smaller company that can benefit that company in the long run. Hmm. Um, I, and I think that I see that because, you know, when I first came to Canada, I came here as a refugee. And for my parents, I saw so many doors shut just based on the fact that they were of color. Hmm. And nobody wanted to hear their story. Hmm. And so, you know, when you open up and you actually get to know someone and you listen to their story, we're not so different and no. we have certain powers and credentials and emotions that can lead us to just as a successful of a path. If we're given the opportunity to do so.
0: The, this, the story of your family's um, immigration to Canada, yes. it, you know, it's, it's quite extraordinary. And do you think that, that, having that story in your bones, having that as as part of your origin that allows you to kind of push boundaries and say, you know, if you hear no, you kind of say, well, it's no, but it doesn't mean I'm going to stop. Or does it make you fearful because of what you know, because of of knowing what you, what it's like to live without?
1: It, I think it's a, it, it, that's a really good question. And I think it's a little bit of both. Um, mm. sometimes I really want to push boundaries, but I'm also very careful because the fear, the PTSD that mm. you feel like sometimes I can revert to, you know, when I was in grade school and how I was treated. Um, I, I revert back to that and mm. then I don't want to push back. And it also, it, makes me feel because in those days I, and I and I don't blame anyone for this but we were treated even by our own parents like we were second class like hmm. you know so we we had come here and we were you know the, this was the majority and we were the minority Not and, like, and
0: where did you and where where were you from Uganda yeah
1: right so we came here when Idi Amin kicked us out and yes. we we landed here and we had never been, you know, never set foot on Canadian soil. And Trudeau gave us amnesty here. Um, and it was such a change. And for our parents, they believed that maybe the white children wouldn't um, treat us well. Yes. So they they kind of kept us away and they said, and it and it it made me feel as a child that why why aren't we good enough to hang out with these people, right? Um, but it was just their way of, you know, we don't know how they're going to treat uh, our children, so Protecting. let's keep them in our own nest in our own zone.
0: Mm. And it, but as you got older, you really broke out of of that sort of mentality because you were very much like very adventurous and. And you wanted to be like assimilate to being Canadian. Yes. Right. Yes. So how how did you come to terms with that? Like how did you find your way through that?
1: Well, because I began to realize that people are not they, you know, when they are solid, good uh, people in their heart, they they don't they don't look at you for your skin color. They look at you for who you are and um, what kind of friendship that you can bring to the table. And the more and more that, and, and I think that that became later on in life. Yes. Uh, you know, when I, high school was a bit of a, you know, a mishmash. And then I get into university and there's way more people with open minds. And yes. then I just to law school and that, that box is opened up even further. And, mm. you know, the acceptance and, the value that people put on you and they don't see the differences with within you. Mm. And sometimes I think that I over assimilate, assimilated. I don't know if, if that makes sense, but what what do you mean by that? So I tended to lose my focus on who I was. So when we came here, like I wanted nothing to do with some of our tradition. Like I didn't uh. want my mom to wear a sari and I didn't want her to cook curry and I, you know, and I used to be, I used to go to school and and people used to say, what's your name? And I'd say, it's Sally. Because <laughs> I wanted to be that assimilated, right? Like, yes. I never, well, how do you spell that? Or, you know, and so I think that at a point I was just going down this stream where I was over assimilating and mm. I had to pull back. And I think when I see my children, they yes. try to do the same thing, right? So they they try to to be. They think by showing that they are not a minority that it'll be easier for them to belong.
0: Right. And I, I, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. We, you know, you and I have chatted um, not about this subject before, but we've chatted about things related to yes. uh, race and ethnicity because we are the minorities in in our. In the community that we live yeah. in, and, and it's certainly changed from when we moved here, for sure, twenty years ago. But yeah. um, it's still it's still a predominantly uh, white middle class uh, community in Oakville, you yeah. know, to generalize. And um, and although very di- it has diversity, and but you know it's um, I'd say it's more cosmopolitan now, and there are a lot of people from different parts of the world. Living in this area, but yes. we do stand out, <laughs> especially when the kids were younger. Yes. And so, I, I think that it's, um, I think it's natural for them to think, "What can I do to to fit in?" You know, as much as I can without mm-hmm. even realizing they're doing it.
1: Yes, and I think that the last year with. You know, everything that's happened mm-hmm. um, with George floyd and and all of the emphasis put on um, black lies and asian lies um, i feel that the focus has changed for my kids like they want to know about their culture
0: they want to mm-hmm. know
1: about their heritage they're not putting it off to the side they want to know how they're different not how they're so similar and not how they could fit into everything but to be able to tell their story. And I remember when my youngest daughter came home one day and she said, yes, this woman came in and she talked about how she was on a boat and she was a refugee. And I said, I'm a refugee. And she looked at me like, no, you're not. And I said, yeah. And it was the first time I was able to tell her my story. And they're more accepting. They want to learn more about where my parents came from. And, even my two partners at work, um, they have, when I told them my story after a very long time, hmm. um, not because I was embarrassed, just because it's a long story, <laughs> you know, they did research and they were like, did you do this? And, you know, you know, how did you feel about this? And it's nice to have somebody recognize you for what you've been through yes. um, and where you've come from. And, you know, not to empathize or sympathize, but to, be able to say, "Hey, well, you can bring a different
0: perspective uh,
1: perspective to this yes. whatever we're looking at."
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's, I think that is one of the greatest undervalued uh, characteristics or attributes of diversity. Is you you get so many different stories, and you get to see that oh. There, there are so many different ways to exist in this world. And so, I mean, in law, it must be, you know, because the law is for everyone, yeah. but the question is, is it? <laughs> and so yeah. you as a lawyer bringing your perspective, you're always going to be looking at that perspective. And when you're looking at who you're rec- recruiting to work in different firms, you're, you're really pushing the boundaries out of, who gets to tell whose story and who gets to advocate for that story. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And although the law is standard and, you know, they, we refer to it as the black letter of the law, mm-hmm. the way you interpret it mm-hmm. and the way you decipher it comes from your story and it comes from your abilities within to reinterpret things. The law was written a long time ago in many, many um, arenas, like the constitutional law, the Indian Act, it's time for us to reinterpret it. And um, that comes from how you view it. So, you know, the way now, I was always taught um, the police were there to protect us. And we looked at the police as there to protect us. And with everything that's happened in the last year, we also have learned about the abuse of power. Yes. Uh, and so we you have to look at things from two streams. You can't look at them through one lens. And I think that that makes people too dependent on, say, the police or the government. If you don't question authority, then it's mm-hmm. just uh, abuse of power can happen. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that certainly has to change.
0: Um, but that, I, oh, you're, you're giving me chills because you, you said something to say, you said that your story is the lens in which you interpret the standard. Yes. That, that's a very powerful, that's a very powerful statement because I think the way we like part of why we're struggling with some of the issues around law enforcement and how um, black people are treated yeah. and and minorities invisible visible minorities are treated um, and 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 vulnerable groups are treated by the police yeah. is that it always seems to go back to well the law says yes as though the police are not interpreting the law, and interpreting people's behavior through their own story.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, and, you know, sometimes the data is skewed. Right. And sometimes when we look at this, you know, somebody was saying to me, well, look at how many underrepresented communities, like the Blacks, the Hispanics, are in jails in the U.S. hmm Yes. The data is high. But when you look at it, do you know how many of those people were underrepresented, didn't have counsel, mm-hmm. and basically were thrown into court, into the system because they couldn't afford or they didn't have the means or they didn't have the educational background to defend themselves? Mm-hmm. So how do you look at that data so black and white when you there's undertones? Totally,
0: totally. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a great uh, podcast, I think it's called Serial. And it's about, you know, the relationship between the court system, law enforcement, and, you know, social services and how, you know, how people sort of have to negotiate their way out of A problem, And if you do not have those skills, or you don't have a support system around you, you can actually negotiate yourself further into further trouble. And so it I think it's, it's, um, we're living in an extraordinary time that's uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable to talk about a a lot of these things. And then it's even more uncomfortable to actually address them, but they have to be uh, addressed, or we're going to keep repeating the same behavior and and institutionalizing and imprisoning people that, that should not be imprisoned, you know?
1: Yes, and that is something that is changing, but we still have so much work to do. Yes, yeah. And, you know, it systematically, underrepresented communities have not been heard. Mm-hmm. And when it's your word, against a police officer's word, no matter who that person be, it is very, very hard to to have your, your voice recognized. And I was telling my daughter this yesterday, because she's, you know, doing a law class at school. I said, do you know what has changed? Do you know what has changed everything? And she said, well, the law has. And I said, no, the camera has. Yeah. The camera has changed everything. Because now... You can actually see evidence of what is going on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not your word against somebody else's word. Mm-hmm. And and before when we looked at authority figures, their word was gospel. That's yes. not the case anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is, and this is, and this is so right because it's so it's so true across the board in so many things, right? Yes. That that you know you're asking and questioning authority in every way. How is that for you as a mother? I, I'm, and I'm sure you came, I mean, correct me again. I'm sure you came from a family that had discipline and, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you were raised to uh, listen to the authority figures in your, in your family. And now we have children who question everything. What's it like mothering right now? It's difficult um,
1: because they do everything and, you know, it's, um, but why? Uh, But I would rather have that than children that are docile and that take everything um, on its word. Because the last thing that I want is for my children. Um, And like I said, like I was raised in a very disciplined home. I was taught never to question authority. I was taught never to question elders um, and that didn't really benefit me in life. Mm. Um, I think that there were certain areas in my life where I faced racism and I faced sexism and I never questioned it. Um, because of, you know, how my parents had taught me and I don't want my girls to go through the same thing. I want them to be able to say that is not appropriate. I want them to be able to advocate for other groups and say that is not the way you treat other people mm-hmm. um, because if we make them you know disciplined and make them live in a box, they are never going to be completely free, and they are never going to be able to express what they t- totally feel and those are important things um so hard in the, hard in the short run but good for them in the long run.
0: Oh, I couldn't, you know what, you said it perfectly. And I couldn't, I could not agree with you more as challenging as it is to raise children who challenge you. Yeah, I do think when they learn what it is to do it, you know, respectfully, and, and you have to work things through, I think that teaches them how to operate in the world and i like you there are have been there have been so many times you know when i was younger where i didn't feel like i could challenge authority or for me when i did challenge i i lost a lot yes. and i think and, and and some of those things you shouldn't have to lose you shouldn't have to it shouldn't be a risk to tell the truth no and so i do think it's really good that our kids and so many of our kids are are talking about these hard things and and are challenging us and challenging the system uh, you know we're going to be really exhausted by the end of it yes. but but hopefully they're going to be very strong human beings
1: absolutely and they have to be in this world they have to be um if they if they sit in the sidelines they will never truly be happy they mm. need to start to have a perspective they need to have a position yes and you know, when my daughters take a position on something, I say to them, "You need to be able to defend that position.
2: Mm-hmm. If you're not
1: able to defend it, it's like sand through a sieve. It's just going to go through. Any position that you take, you have to be able to defend it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 be willing to to keep defending it or change it when you've discovered new information. Right? Yeah, yeah." You are so courageous in the work you do and how you mother. I'm a great admirer and fan of yours and uh, I feel very lucky that we met uh, at at our, our kids' school in the schoolyard and so I'm very grateful. Thank you for joining the conversation. We are growing an amazing community here at Let's Talk. Please share the show. Make sure you're subscribing and keep talking. And you can always reach out to me at CoachShamarville.com or on Instagram at Shamarville. Let's talk. Let's keep talking.